welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Today I'm talking with paid media expert Shree Kanas, uh, who owns and runs Google Ads agency Euro Marketing. Shree started out with Facebook ads when he ran his own brand uh, and made the switch over to Google ads where he's driven millions in revenue for his clients. Ad platforms change so frequently nowadays, uh, which makes it so essential to keep aware of the changes so that you can do the right things to make sure your campaigns are always optimised the best they can be. Shree's going to be talking through uh, what is key right now for having success with Google Ads uh, from the perspective of e-commerce brands. Let's get Shree on now. Hi, Shree. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just giving us a bit of your background, You know, a bit of an introduction to yourself and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me here. So my name is Shree Kanase. For those of you that don't know, I have been in e-commerce since about 2017. I got my start before I launched my Google Ads agency and everything with my own e-commerce brand. So that's essentially where I got started. I started out with Facebook ads mostly. I was just one of those people binge watching Facebook ads videos like how to do this, how to do that on Facebook. And that's initially what got my first success and my first foot in the door when it came to e-commerce. And that slowly kind of went further into Google Ads. But that's a little bit about me. So was that with your own brands, did you say? Sorry. That's right. So back in 2017, when I was a senior in high school, I started kind of like a fashion brand, basically a relationship brand, meaning I would sell fashion jewelry, fashion I mean, in clothing and all of those things that were matching. So for example, like for a guy and a girl in a relationship, so it would be like his and hers or something like that. So that's essentially how I got started. I would run Facebook ads for them, specifically image ads only. And, you know, that was during the time when a lot of so-called gurus would preach about video ads and how video was the king. In fact, a lot of e-commerce gurus out there still say video is king, but I still don't believe so because I did over six figures per month in 2017 and even in the recent time period just through image ads alone. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So let's let's dive into it then. What's what's, what's your approach to paid media? Give us a bit bit of an insight into that. You know, how, how do you get customers clicking? Yeah, great question. So when it comes to getting customers clicking, and I'm going to stay on Google ads mostly because that's what I master right now. That's essentially how I started getting majority of my success starting 2019. Because, you know, a little bit of a backstory for those of you that know what started happening in 2019, Facebook ad account bans became more frequent. And that's essentially what led me to Google ads. But After I made my big jump into Google, I had to figure out the answer to that question, which is how do I get customers clicking on my ads? And essentially, that's kind of what made me start spending a lot of money just testing different things out when it came to my e-commerce brands, just trying to run Google ads, make them work. So when it comes to Google ads, the one major answer I found out as to what really gets a customer clicking It's, of course, your product, but it goes a little bit further than that with Google. And what I mean by that is with Google, you can have a mediocre product. It doesn't have to be the most quirky product in the world. It doesn't have to be the most coolest product in the world. It could literally be a lawnmower or it could be, for example, a fan, anything simple like that. But the way to get your customers clicking and eventually engaging with your ad is number one, through your image, because I'm I'm referring to shopping campaigns here, yeah. Google Shopping. 
when you see somebody's ad on Google Shopping, you notice the image first. That's what pops out to you at the very top. And then the search campaigns and the search ads, they come more later on when you start scrolling. But 95% of potential customers are shopping with shopping ads. So in terms of that, your image, the way you make it and the way you make it stand out with your competitors is essentially how you get your potential customers to start even clicking on your ad in the first place. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I know that I've clicked through on Google Shopping ads plenty of times. Um, so I, I'm I'm not a user of it. I've never been involved in a shopping ads campaign. It's just not my my area of specialty. Uh, how, obviously some searches I do don't have Google Shopping. Is there a certain requirement for it? Or is it literally the case that there are no brands who are running shopping campaigns for those for that phrase or keyword? So in terms of that, it really depends on the niche out there. And there is no niche out there where, you know, there's no competitors with shopping ads. Basically, every niche is filled up with a bunch and bunch of competitors. So at the end of the day, no matter what keyword you use, or for that matter of fact, no matter what niche or industry you're in, you're going to be dealing with competitors and you are going to have to find ways to stand out to rank for those keywords, regardless of how competitive it is. So this kind of goes yeah, back so to when I said you need to focus on your image, but image is only part of the equation. There's other things which Google's algorithm itself may, helps you determine where you rank and also um, other things which make your customers click on your ad in the first place. Some things that you can also look into further, which really helps with Google Shopping, include things like the pricing of your product. Obviously, if I'm trying to sell, like, for example, a pencil, I cannot sell a pencil for $5 million unless, you know, it is gold co coated or diamond coated or something weird like that. But, you know, most pencils are not like that. But if you're selling something very basic like that, you need to take you need to keep your competitors' prizes into account and you need to be in the average ballpark. That's essentially what I always do for my e-commerce brand. So number one, once I have my image right, and by the way, with the image itself, you don't need to go above and beyond. You don't need to hire supermodels to you know, model your product for you. It could be a simple tweak or a simple change. Like for example, if your product is directed towards the left side of the screen and you see a lot of your other competitors also have the product directed to the left side it could be a simple change like going on canva and rotating your product or flipping it so it's to the right side it's a very small thing but i've sold simple products like lawn mowers and things like that to over six figures with just this one simple tweak while using basic images that i found off of google images so it's essentially the number one thing, image that determines your success with Google Shopping and how many people click on your ad. Number two is the pricing. Notice how I said number two is pricing. Number one is not pricing. And that's because the first thing that you see or a potential customer sees, it's the image. And then they move their eyes downwards towards the prices. And then the third thing, of course, is the title and the SEO that you do. I mean, if you try to sell a lawnmower, for example, if your title is literally lawnmower, you're going to rank for very few keywords and you're going to miss out on a lot of potential auctions you could win. So to kind of summarize what I just said, those three major things, your image, your title, and then your pricing, get a lot of people through the door and get them on your website. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I think the, it does make sense that the image would be number one. 
like you say, it's, it's what catches your attention. That's the thing that you go, you're kind of looking on Google and you go, right, yeah, that's the product I want. And then your eyes go to the price. Right, exactly. And to be honest, I wonder, I wonder how much impact the title actually has on the person who's looking at the page at that point. So you mentioned it for kind of the SEO, the auction, the keyword purposes. If I see the image and the image is the product I want, I'm just going to click it, assuming it's you know a relatively reasonable reasonable price for what I'm looking for. But I, I guess it probably does depend how complex the product is as well. If I'm looking for a certain model or not, that's that's where I might look in the title, see whether it's the model that I'm looking for as well, or whether it's a similar model. Let's look at iPhone, for example. Right, there's so many models of iPhones that you can still buy. So I would probably just double check to make sure it's the model of iPhone that I want before clicking through. Right, exactly. And I like to think of the title itself as having two distinctive functions. The first function is for the title to make sense to the algorithm. The second function is for the title to make sense for the user or the person reading the title. So the first function, which is for the algorithm, if you don't write a lawnmower, for example, if you're selling a lawnmower, but you don't write lawnmower in and you write something like a toilet paper in, for example, for your lawnmower product, obviously that's not going to rank for lawnmower related keywords. You're going to rank for toilet paper and you know they don't make sense. They're not relevant to each other. As a result, nobody's going to click on your ad. Google is going to figure that out sooner or later, and it's going to de-rank you completely and get you winning no auction at all. So that's why it's so important to rank or to write for the algorithm itself first, because at the end of the day, this is not Facebook. You cannot tell Google exactly what your interest is that you're targeting or exactly who you want as a customer. With Google, yeah. it sort of has to figure it out on its own. And the way it does that is through your titles, the words you use in your titles and your description. So that's why I really kind of favor SEO and proper SEO techniques when it comes to the titles. But number two is writing for the user because, you know, it's true. A lot of people will look at the image and they'll already make a decision if they want the product or not. But then, for example, if you were buying a car if within the toy, like, for example, a Toyota, there's a lot of Toyota brands out there, like specific models out there that you could buy or maybe a, a Mercedes. There's different Mercedes models out there. And if you just have a Mercedes in your title, I mean, that's great. But what model is it? Is it a C300? Is it a C63? You know, a customer has to know that. And that's really where your titles outshine your competitors who don't follow proper SEO techniques. But here's where a lot of e-commerce store owners mess up. And that is they do something called the keyword stuffing, where they just put a bunch of random keywords together. And I wouldn't even say random. They do have some sort of similarity to each other. But they do something called keyword stuffing where they just write every keyword with a comma. That's the worst thing you can do because with the algorithm, if you notice, for example, go on Google and type in the main keyword for your niche, you'll notice the people ranking in the front, they don't do any of that stuff. They have very professional titles. So that tells you keyword stuffing is not something Google even prefers. But number two, if you were a potential customer and you were trying to buy your own product, would you really click on an unprofessional ad like that with a title that is a bunch of commas? And the answer for a lot of people is no. So that's where a lot of people really mess up, especially you know e-commerce store owners. So th those are the two main functions the title serves. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've just done a, a search for iPhone just now, and yeah, like you say, it's they're, they're very you know it's the information that I want to know as a potential customer to decide whether I want to click. 
So you've got Apple iPhone 14 Pro 5, 5G, also one terabyte. iPhone 11, 64 gig black unlocked, right? That's a key thing that unlocked. Um, but you also get, and you know, an example is on Amazon, right? Where you search for, let's say, phone charger. You click on a phone charger, click, you know, go to the PLP for phone chargers. And those are keyword stuffed, right? That's That's where you do see compatible with iPhone 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, iPhone X. You know, it's, it's just chucking everything in there and it can look a bit of a mess. Right, exactly. And that's essentially what you really want to avoid if you want to get customers clicking on your ads, especially in e-commerce. Because as we move on with the technological advances, as more people turn to shopping online, especially with Google ads and like, you know, shopping or even search, for that matter, they expect a bit more professionalism. And trust me, they're starting to catch on to the game of who's a real e-commerce brand and who's not a real e-commerce brand. So they can see right through the fluff. The best thing you can do to really not only get those first-time buyers in through the door, but also to keep them for a longer period of time, especially with Google ads, is to give them a professional overall layout for them to follow and make buying from your website, clicking on your ad, and all sorts of them, all sorts of those things, number one, relevant, but number two, easy. Those two things, if you just follow, you're going to find a lot of success with Google. Yeah, so going back to your lawnmower example, actually, if you keyword stuffed, you you risk confusing people and putting people off as well. You know, for a lawnmower, you could say, oh, yeah, it's perfect for mowing the lawn. But if you're keyword stuffing, you might also add that it's perfect for playing fields or farmer's fields or I don't know, like where where it, basically every situation where you'd want to use some sort of lawnmower, you might chuck that in there. And then that just random one person who's saying, I just I just need to be able to cut my back lawn. That person's going, well, but I don't need something that's that's usable on a football field. Right. That that gives me an impression. It's a much, much different product. It's way more than I'm going to need. So I'm probably not going to click through to that. It may be even if the picture looks correct, because if that picture then says has has a keyword on it that doesn't feel right to me, I'm going to be less likely to click, click through. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've actually had that happen a bunch of times back when I began with Google first, because I thought the best way to go about with this was to just have a bunch of, you know, even semi-related keywords within your titles and within your description. So that's exactly what I would do. I would just have these bunch of random words in my descriptions filled up. And sure, that got me a lot of traffic. I used to be number one in a lot of the different auctions for those kinds of products. But come two weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, I would have a bunch of these customers start to email me saying like, hey, you know, I, I read this was a wireless thing, but then when I got it, I actually have to keep it wired. Or, hey, you know, you said that this is inflatable, but, you know, this doesn't inflate at all. Like those kind of major issues started to come up over and over again. And I noticed it was mostly because of those keywords I was putting inside my descriptions or in my titles that, you know, even though they were vaguely related to what I was selling, it was not exactly that. So this is another thing where a lot of e-commerce brands kind of get carried away with when it comes to SEO. The one thing you want to keep in mind and you want to ask yourself this constantly when you're trying to find different keywords is, is this keyword relevant to what I want to sell? And if if the answer is even a maybe, you don't want to add that keyword in because later on, trust me, you're going to have a lot of issues with that. Yeah, well, a, a lot of what I do with CRO is, you know, does this information 
actually add value to the customer? Does it answer any of their questions about this product? And are we missing any of that information that people are asking about? You know, you, obviously you've got to have that information, but if you've got plenty of information on your on your page, which isn't actually answering questions, isn't that relevant and isn't really adding value to 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 the customers, they're more likely to bounce off the page because if they can't find what they want quickly, they're going to go. So, like, right. I guess in a similar way, if you are if you are keyword stuffing, you're going to come to that product page, you're going to see all these different keywords and things mentioned, and you're going to think, I can't work out if this is the right product for me. Like you say, is it wireless? Is it wired? Is it inflatable? Is it not? Like, I can't work it out, and so I'm just going to go and I'm going to click on the next. If, if I'm on desktop, I'm going to open the next tab. I'm not even going to go back. I'm going to close this tab and just open the next one that I've already opened because I've probably clicked about 10 links. Right, exactly. And that's why, you know, CRO techniques like those also are very important. And I, I like how you mentioned bounce rate because that's also one thing Google's algorithm actually takes into account to see if, you know, Google's customers, which essentially are those users shopping with them, are they staying on your website for a long period of time or not? Or are they just clicking in and within two seconds, they're already gone? Because if it's the second option where they're clicking in and they're just leaving right away, your bounce rate is going to be high. Not only is that bad for, you know, in, in terms of conversion rate optimization, but also with Google, it, Google's algorithm is going to start deranking you from where you are. Yeah. Speaking of the algorithm, have you seen much change over the last maybe 12 months? Like so, you know, I'd say reasonably recently, have you have you noticed any big changes in the way? Well, maybe not big changes, but noticeable changes in the way that you need to use Google Ads or approach Google Ads. Mm -hmm. Right, great question. So within the last twelve months, what I have personally been able to see, and this is because I run a Google Ads agency where I work with a lot of big brands, and I'm I'm talking to big brands on a weekly basis, basically a daily basis at this point. And what I see is a lot of these big brands are starting to use other platforms much less and convert a lot of their advertising budget onto Google ads. So naturally, within the last 12 months, what has started to happen is a lot of e-commerce store owners have started spending this massive amounts of money on Google, causing the auctions to become more competitive. So what used to work 12 months ago no longer works, meaning if you had a very basic strategy 12 months ago where maybe you're just launch, uh, launching, for example, like a standard shopping campaign with a 30 cent bid, nowadays, a 30 cent bid is not going to get you anything from the auction simply because there's more people in the auction now for your niche as well. And in addition, if for those people that have already been using Google Ads, you know that there was a big transition done from smart shopping campaigns to now performance max campaigns. And performance max campaigns was a step towards Google taking more control out of your hands and giving it more to Google ad side of things. So naturally, that's going to change the way you kind of approach Google and the strategy you make around it. Because now you need to keep in mind that whatever strategy you have is going to involve Google in large heaps simply because of Google's now automated bidding types and all of that stuff. So essentially, what you need to be more focused on is making sure you have a very strong foundation right now more than ever before. Because with smart bidding, it's it's smart. You know, Google is responsible for the bidding of that campaign and also a lot of other things. I mean, the only thing you can change with the Performance Max campaign is the budget, number one. 
and the T ROAS, if you said like a target ROAS, that those are the only two things you can change. There's nothing else you can change. Whereas with standard shopping, you used to be able to add negative keywords, you used to be do you used to be able to do like bidding for specific audiences, you used to be able to add audiences as a whole. And there was just so much more manual work you could do where you can't do it now. So that has really in the past 12 months in terms of the algorithm and the changes done to it, increased the need for having a strong foundation as a whole. Yes. Yeah, so do, you, do you think this is a good change? I personally believe this is both a good and a bad change. It's good because now once you have enough data, Google is going to do the heavy lifting for you. So you don't have to guess, you know, if the right bid for your product is 40 cents or it's $2. You don't have to bid, you don't have to get confused about that anymore. Cause trust me, a lot of e-commerce store owners, they guess and they end up being wrong like 99% of the time and they end up losing money that way. But the bad thing is now, like I mentioned earlier, Google is in more control of your money. It's in more control of how your ads spend and where they show. So essentially, you know, you, you're in Google's hands, if you think of it like that. And all you can really do is just kind of fuel the fire, basically. That's all you really can do now. Okay. So you do need to work on the the on the on-site experience, really. Right. So more of the work from the on-campaign level is now with Google. So now you need to remove your attention from the campaign side of things, from your Google Ads dashboard side of things, and move it more towards the back end side of things. How optimized is your product page? How optimized are your titles, your images, and so on and so forth. Okay. So what, what would you recommend brands do to get the most of their out of their ad spend and, you know, kind of successfully scale their Google account? You know, if, if, if a lot of the ad, the actual ad side is out of their hands now. Right. Great question. So the biggest thing you can do right now is to make sure again, that you have a proper funnel in place that supports Google ads. I'm not talking about Facebook ads funnel. I'm not talking about Pinterest funnel. Those two are completely different from Google because the audience that Google provides you is different, right? Because with Facebook, you force your ad in front of people. You tell Facebook, hey, this is my interest. I want, you know, cat lovers go on their Facebook newsfeed and show cat lovers this product. And then it's basically forced. Whereas with Google, somebody literally has to go on Google, take the effort to type in cat necklace or cat bracelet or something like that, and then come to you. So it's more buying intent. So you need to kind of make, you need to put in a little bit of extra work to make sure you have those necessary keywords your potential customers would want to search for. So essentially what that means is doing more research into your actual buying persona. I know those words seem a little bit fluff. And back in the day, like people would say, oh, you need to know your ideal customer. You got to know everything about him, what he eats, what time he sleeps, all that stuff. With Google, it becomes a bit more important because the most important thing you need to know at least is what do they search for and how do they search for it, which is done through keyword research with Google Ads. So big brands essentially need to impl need to spend time, money, and energy into doing proper keyword research. They need to spend time, money, and energy into improving their back end. And what, with the back end, I'm talking about the feed optimizations for the products that get submitted to Google. So me personally, I use an app called Simprosis, which lets me edit a lot of the product feed, which gets submitted to the Google Merchant Center, which then gets added to my Google ad side of things. So I'm talking about that specifically that you should edit as a big brand. And also 
the biggest issue I'm seeing, even with big brands spending like half a million dollars per month in ad spend with Google, their conversion tracking is still messed up. So if you're a big brand of any sort, if you're even a small brand, you just started, you need to make sure your conversion tracking is set from all ways. Because if your conversion tracking is messed up, number one, you get fed the wrong data, meaning you might think you made 10 sales yesterday when you only made like two. Number two, your campaigns think they're doing a great job because it just says they got 10 sales yesterday. So they think, wow, you know, we're on a roll, like we're doing so good. So they keep on optimizing for those 10 people when in reality, only two were sales and the rest of the eight because your conversion tracking was messed up. It's only product viewers or something like that, product page viewers. So that's a really big issue I'm still seeing right now with big brands. So again, starting from your back end, moving your way towards the merchant center, your SEO, and then transitioning into Google ads. That's what a real brand should be doing right now to scale with Google. I think the the conversion point is really valid, especially when you're looking at other channels as well, right? You know, I've heard multiple stories about how when brands add up all their attribution, they've sold 250% of what they've actually sold because multiple channels take take the credit for it. And obviously having the right conversion goal in place is important. You don't want to act, like you say, you don't want to be accidentally just um, uh, giving, you know, product view as a as a, trans- as a goal, particularly if, if you are driving all your traffic straight to products. But what about, how does returns, or how can returns impact kind of Google ad performance? Do you, do you feed that data back in? Do you, like, how do you account for that? Are we talking about returns as in product returns the customer send back? Sorry, yes. Yeah. So when a when a customer uh, I guess essentially cancels their order, and from that point of view, like that conversion's not really happened, um, or it's not a valuable conversion for the brand anymore. Um, mm-hmm. how, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, great question. So in cases like that, that's where external tools can really help, where you can actually manually edit some of the information because unfortunately with Google. Once a sale comes through Google ads, it doesn't, it doesn't really track properly if the return was made or if you gave a refund. All it cares about is that Google was the reason why you got that sale. So deal with it. You know, that's what yeah. Google really thinks. So for really tracking those returns, I have personally used softwares like one software I used to use, which is now no longer available is order metrics. But there's also other ones that you can use if you're using Shopify, like B profit, or if you want to go the manual way, use like Google Sheets to really kind of account for those and really track what is a return, what is an actual sale to, you know, be on top of your numbers. Because at the end of the day, you know, Google's not going to do that for you. So you're going to have to find external ways to do that. Yeah, exactly. As far as, far as they're concerned, they've got the conversion. It's it's up to you to go back and correct them at a later date, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, cool. What else can brands be doing? What was oh, There was a question I wanted to ask you actually specific. Oh, around like keywords and stuff and intent. Do you think, you know, is there more... Or is it maybe not more opportunity, but is it more important to target potentially lower intent keywords and and really target those people who are searching for they're searching for solutions, but they're not necessarily ready to buy yet? Mm-hmm. Great question. So I was actually auditing an e-commerce brand just a few hours ago, which was in the cellulite cream niche. And one really good approach that they did was they were actually running Google search ads for a blog post. And that search campaign was actually targeting keywords like how to get rid of cellulite or how to get rid of cellulite stretch marks on your stomach or things like that. So I like to classify those 
as low intent keywords because you know that's not really a buying intent keyword that's more of a research based keyword yeah yeah educational yeah yeah it's educational people are wanting to learn about it but the interesting thing about that e-commerce brand is they were getting a lot of conversions and they even had a conversion rate of around 17% just on those kinds of keywords alone. The main reason why is because they were bringing those customers, bringing those visitors to an educational page, not to their product page, to a blog post. So e-commerce brands that really want to focus on both sides of the spectrum where they want to go against low intent keywords as well as high intent keywords you need to have some sort of funnel where you're driving people for the lower intent keywords ideally with search campaigns to some kind of informational piece of content a blog post maybe some article or a youtube video even and then sell them within that video or within that article so what this e-commerce brand did is halfway through the product page or the article itself they were upselling the products that they had and that's how people were buying at the top they were they just had a bunch of text just talking about the benefits of the creams and you know how to get rid of they were actually answering the question which they searched for which is how to get rid of cellulite marks and stuff like that they were actually answering it and then they were upselling the product so that's how to go after low intent or higher intent keywords obviously you know just taking them to a product page because they already want to buy that's the yeah. way to go I suppose in that example, it's probably more medium intent, right? How to get rid of cellulite. They're already aware that they have a problem. So they need the education on what is the solution to it. And they're probably going to buy the solution. What I guess it'd be important to really think about is if someone is searching for what is cellulite, that might right. be the case where you have to say, okay, these guys, hey, maybe they could still put some products in that article, but it is a, it's lower intent than how to deal with it. Right, definitely. Because these people I like to, you know, just think of as just information junkies where they're just trying to learn. Like, you know, it's like what is cellulite? How does it work? What like they have it, it from those keywords, it might give off an impression that they really don't know what that is. So if they don't even know what that is, what makes you think that they're gonna buy from you, whatever you have? So you gotta kind of make that distinction between who's a low intent keyword, a mid-intent keyword, and then a high intent. Yeah, and I mean you should be able to do that just by by really thinking about, you know, what is what is someone asking here? What what information do they want? And does it make sense to try and sell to them as as part of that that experience? And that's yeah, that's the difference between, you know, how do I how do I get rid of this problem as opposed to what is this problem? Right, exactly. You want to be uh, as an e-commerce store owner, your main goal should be tar- should be to target people with the problem already because you don't want to create an imaginary problem with somebody who doesn't have that problem in the first place. So it's it's like trying to sell shoes to somebody who has never worn shoes in their life. You might think that that's a good solution, but if they don't know about shoes, they're going to give you objection after objection as to why they should not be wearing shoes. Yeah, also you might find that it's it's literally completely the wrong audience. That the people the the people who are searching for what it is might there might be a large number of people in there who are will never be a purchaser. They're just, you know, they they're kind of discovering whatever that is, whatever that topic is, and they just want to want to do a bit of research and find out what it is. Whereas, yeah, you look at that middle, kind of middle intent, someone who's searching for a solution to a problem, you know, they're, they're probably going to buy something or you can, you'd be able to sell them something. Right, exactly. And the unfortunate thing with Google ads, however, is that, like I mentioned earlier, you cannot really do interest targeting. So 
unfortunately in the beginning you might not necessarily have a choice but to just let google be free and just let it rank for whatever it wants to rank or whatever it even thinks is ideal and that's also one reason why so many e-commerce brands struggle to make search campaigns profitable very quickly that's because you know with billions of people in any given niche at any given time they have a billion different ways of searching for anything like even with cellulite they could be searching for it for in a different ways, completely from each other. And a Google search campaign really has to account for that. So initially, you know, taking a broad approach, you might actually rank for what is cellulite. But as Google's algorithm becomes smarter and smarter, it starts to understand that, hey, you know, these people, they're not necessarily doing any sorts of actions that are, you know, what we're optimizing for on our website. So maybe it's not ideal to even show the ad to them. This is not something you can tell Google directly in the beginning, at least. This is something Google has to figure out. So as the algorithm becomes smarter and smarter, this is called optimizing the campaign. That's how the algorithm becomes smarter. Then it starts to understand like, hey, you know, what is this or what is that? Is there's bad keywords? You don't want to rank for them at all. And then it starts to make better decisions over time. Got it. Okay. It, it kind of sounds sounds a bit similar to how I've been told Facebook works these days, which is you generally run some some pretty broad campaigns, and you just let you let Facebook work out who the real audience is in there. You, know, you, you might obviously you give it a direction with an interest, but you yeah the, the advice I've been given you know the last the last year or so has been kind of let Facebook do its thing. Don't don't try be too specific with what you want to target. Let let Facebook do that bit for you. So I suppose it's it's kind of similar, right? Yeah, definitely. That's also something I did notice with Facebook. You know, in the recent time that I was using it, where you know, if you go to narrow, all you do is end up boosting up your CPCs. So you know, even Facebook and you know Google has been like that, but Facebook even broader kind of interest is leading to more you know more work from the algorithm side, and the algorithm has become more smart that it can find the audience very quickly. Yeah, I suppose the, the Google example would be terminology, wouldn't it? If you're, if you're too specific and you only, you're only bidding on the term sneakers, right? You might miss out on a huge amount of people, let's say in the UK, because that's not a term that's used as much. I think it is more and more these days, but a lot of people use trainers as the word. So right. yeah, if, if you're being broader with it you might capture both sets of people because google goes cool these are actually the same things same people but if you're too specific you're actually going to miss out on one of those people who just use a different term for whatever it is yeah definitely and that's exactly why when you do keyword research you don't just have one keyword like for example with the lawnmower example I, I, I don't have just a lawnmower in my title or in my description. I have other words for lawnmower, like best lawnmower or lawnmower that does this or lawnmower that does that and so on and so forth. And what you do is you make your title a combination of all these SEO keywords. So then Google's algorithm can pick and choose with what auction is happening at any given second and where you should be ranking, what auction you should be winning and so on and so forth. And the same thing for your descriptions, because you know, if your description, all it said is lawnmower, it would be a very boring description. But then if you went on and on about how this lawnmower is so amazing, and then this is the best lawnmower because of this, and then because of that, and so on and so forth, you really want to be well incorporating all those keywords that you found. And I like to keep it between 10 to 20 keywords with each description. But okay. that's essentially what happens when, you know, like you said, 
you become too specific. This is what I do to kind of counter that where I'm not too specific because I have like 10 to 20 keywords in my description. And now Google can pick and choose between those keywords. And the benefit of that is once Google starts to become smarter based around those keywords, it actually goes out and finds even more keywords like those to rank you for compared to if you were only doing the keyword lawnmower where, you know, it has to do a lot more heavy lifting for you. Yeah, absolutely. Any Anything else you want to add on Google Ads before we finish up? So, you know, I'd like to kind of recap everything I've said. Google is becoming very smarter. I mean, those e-commerce brands who might already have some experience with Google, they know that even getting approved for a Google Merchant Center account has become a bit more difficult than the previous times where now for even the smallest reason, like you just copied one word or something from another website's policy page, it can get you suspended. So with stricter policies, stricter, you know, environment in general, of course, that's only leaving only the best brands out there to use Google ads and to operate with Google, which is at the end of the day, what Google wanted in the first place, because it wants its users to get the best possible experience, experience, because if if they don't, obviously, they're not going to shop on Google anymore, which Google doesn't want. So as an e-commerce brand, you really need to step your game up if you're kind of lacking in certain things, if your images are really not not on points, or if you're not spending time doing keyword research, actually making sure that what you're trying to sell is what people are searching for and they want to buy. Because trust me, you know it doesn't matter how good your offer is if you're selling something even for free. If somebody is not searching for that free product, it's not going to sell, period. So with so many restrictions with Google, you need to kind of spend more time doing research, making sure your product is ideal before spending time, money, and energy into your products and into those campaigns. Because, you know, running a campaign is the easy part with Google. The harder part is giving, getting everything right in the back end, which a lot of e-commerce brands are unfortunately missing out on right now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's, I mean, a lot of what I do is that back end stuff, right? It's once, once someone's clicked on an advert, what happens next? How do we get them to convert? How do we get them to buy? If you can't, if you can't do that bit right, it, well, to be honest, that's the reason I got into this, into CRO. It's because you know I, I started on the ad side, you know, managing agencies, managing you know teams, spending tens, hundreds of thousands a month, and it was just the problems were were on the website and the app, whatever. It was we we can't convert these people, we can't retain these people because on that side we're not good enough. We can get the clicks. The clicks is the easy bit. So yeah, I think you're right. You've got you've got to do more work on that that back end stuff. Make sure your product pages are good. Make sure the information's there, so that when people do click go through, they've actually got a good experience. They're going to make their purchase, and Google are going to stay happy with you. Right. Exactly. Foundation is everything with Google Ads in 2022 and onwards. Yeah. Awesome. So just before we finish, is there anyone in the DTC marketing space that you'd want to have lunch with? I would definitely want to have lunch with Alex Hormozzi, if I'm saying his name right. Alex has become really a big popular celebrity in the recent time when it comes to DTC. So really, I would love to, you know, sit down with him and just, you know, kind of pick his brain as to how he was able to get his his brand to the level that it has gotten to. And he was able to, you know, within a short period of time, sell his brand for, or I mean, get a valuation for his brand for a very large amount. So who is this? Yeah, Alex Hormozzi, he's an entrepreneur. Do you know what? Someone else mentioned him to me today and I'm sure it was a completely different name. But yes, the the $100 million offer guy, isn't it? Right, right, exactly. That's right. 
He had like a brick and mortar business. Uh, it, it, I think he had, it was also a website as well. I think it was in the sub, like a gym, gym niche. Like, gym launch. You know, gym fitness launch. Fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's good. It's a good shout. It's interesting that, it's, yeah, it's come up twice today. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Uh, cool. And just before we finish, are there any, any tools that you'd recommend that you really like to use that really would, you know, help, uh, I guess, with PPC, but doesn't have to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love using, especially with e-commerce brands, if I want to know how well they're doing, I use the Google Chrome extension from Similar Web. I also use tools like ubersuggest.com, which is Neil Patel's keyword planner tool. I also use things like, you know, keywords everywhere because, you know, at the end of the day, Google Ads is all about keywords. So these tools really help me. And also one tool which doesn't get enough fame is the Google conversion tracking um, tag assistant. So Google tag assistant Chrome extension completely free but it tells me if there's any conversion tracking issues on e-commerce websites and obviously you know that's like the one major issue almost all e-commerce brands have right now so those are pretty much the same two main tools that i use including the google keyword planner tool awesome well thank you so much Shri. it's been i'm sure it's been super helpful for anyone running ppc ads out there if anyone wants to get in touch what's the best way of doing that yeah, of course. You can find me on Instagram at dedicated young, like dedicated and young together as one word. Or you can go on my agency's website, which is yorumarketing.com. So it's Y-O-R-U marketing.com. If you want to work with me with my Google Ads agency. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Okay, awesome. cool. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Learned a few tips there myself, uh, especially like the tip about facing your product image the opposite way to competitors to draw that attention in. You know, these small things can have such a big impact and really make you stand out in Google Shopping. Additionally, some important information is that more companies are sending additional budget to Google Ads, therefore making a more competitive space. So if you don't make the effort to optimize, your performance is almost guaranteed to be negatively impacted. But ultimately, with the way Google is going, uh, with performance max campaigns, etc., uh, you know, less control in the hands of the user, it's more important than ever to make sure your product page and the back end are as optimized as possible. So when customers do click, they keep clicking. In conclusion, if you're using Google Ads as an acquisition channel, hopefully you've gained a few key takeaways that you can apply to uh, optimize your own campaigns and keep those customers clicking. To hear more from Shri, you can find him on LinkedIn, or if you'd like to uh, work with him, head over to euromarketing.com. Uh, any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to willacustomersuclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next week, I've got Carl Weish with me on the show. We'll be discussing how to use A-B testing and CRO to deliver the optimal online experience. But until then, keep those customers clicking.